A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Guardian. The adolescent years can be a wonderful time. First loves, best friends, and happy memories. But they can also have a less enjoyable side. A side where the world seems against you, and the question of who you are can become a confusing and unpleasant one. So I just went into my room, I closed the door. I just screamed as loud as I possibly could, but with nothing coming out of my mouth. Something the subject of our latest documentary, Black Sheep, knows all too well. I can honestly, I'm 27, and I'm. It took me to probably I was 25 to actually like myself. So I think at the age of 25, I just finally started to like myself and 26, just to set myself for who I am. But this side to adolescence is just one aspect explored in the film. So I did whatever I needed to do to fit in. Centered on a young man's remarkable tale of fitting in, it also raises important questions about identity, race and masculinity. Yeah, I think as a man, it affected my masculinity. I think some ways, like, I found it hard to be vulnerable. This is the story behind his story, as told by him. I'm Charlie Phillips. Welcome to Doc Tales. You know what? I prefer that because if you want more, just let me know. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not, I've been told I'm vague. I'm not vague. I'm just very shy. So <laughs> if you tell me, I'll do it. As the head of Guardian Documentaries, I receive many, many pitches for films. Some immediately excite me, some take some time, and some just don't work for us. When filmmaker Ed Perkins first approached me with the idea that would eventually morph into Black Sheep, I knew straight away that this would be a very special and important film for documentary viewers to see. Okay, cool. It was an incredible story with an incredible main character. I'm Kunis Walker, I'm a filmmaker, and I'm here because I, I guess the story Black Sheep is about me, and it's my story of how I grew up in Essex and adapted. I sat down with Cornelius in the studio and started by asking him, not about his time in Essex, but what came before, South London. I guess my South London, I always call it my South London because it's like how I remember it, it's like my little world, and it was like really diverse, it was like different cultures, different ethnicities, and just... I didn't see any colour in a weird way. It's like people were just people. The only race I saw was human at the time. And um, we just like sort of Caribbeans, Colombians, Somalians. So we all just like kind of intertwined with each other. You know, you go out, you play, 
you know, the fellow Nigerians in the area just watch each other's children and all that stuff, make sure everyone's safe. So, um, yeah, that was my South London growing up. Everything changed for me the day Damilola Taylor died. That was it, that changed everything. I remember the night, like, it's just, it's a constant memory and it's like, I just remember it because I remember that night I was rushing home because I was scared that my mom was going to give me some beatings because I was like, played football with my friends after school. And so um, I was rushing home and me and my friends were joking around on the bus and um, I got off first. And then I just see these blue lights down the road I, I have to turn into to get to my place. And then halfway through the road, I just see like police tape. So I'm like walking a bit cautiously now and my, the whole road's locked off and the police officer was like, just stand here for a moment. And I was like, what, what's going on? Oh, what happened? And he's like, oh, oh, little boy got killed. Police are hunting for the killers of a 10 year old boy who was stabbed to death on his way home from school earlier today. So um, I run home and then um, put a key in the door and I'm like trying to do it so my mum doesn't hear the door. But as soon as I enter, she just like she calls my name and um, I just see her watching um, the news and you see Damilola Taylor's mum talking about the incident, or at least trying to. And um, I guess like my mum's idea was, yo, Nigeria's hard. I don't want to raise my kids there because I don't want them to have it as hard as I did. And so she came to England and stayed in London and did whatever job she could to, you know, survive, just to make sure that we could have the education and we could, you know, be born here. And for a child to come from a country like this, I won't say it's third world or anything, but poverty rate in Nigeria is really high, like 62%. So for them to bring the child to London, hoping that there's going to be a better life and for them to die and stabbed of all ways to die in a stairway in a flat, for every Nigerian family at that time, it was, it was very sad, I think. As the film portrays, Cornelius's mum was so shook by the death of Damilola Taylor that she decided to move her family to Essex and, she thought, to a safer way of life. Somalians and Africans, obviously we're all African, but there's... But Cornelius, who didn't see colour in his South London, was to find out that Essex held its own challenges for a young black man. But I finally moved to Essex and then I'm just going to the corner shop and people are looking at me. I'm thinking, we're not in America. Why is this happening? Like, all of the American movies I watch, this is the kind of stuff that happens. And I expected there because the slavery and all that stuff. But I don't know why in England, I guess some of us black people think that <laughs> most of the slavery and all the bad things happen in America. But some of it was here too. But um, I think for me, it was just... um. It was a shock of feeling like an alien, like constantly being stared at and looked at. The cashier didn't want to touch me. And then I'm walking back home and like all I hear is oi, n-word. And I'm thinking, yo, like, and he's a kid, like a small kid saying this to me. So I'm just like, wow, if this is just from a small kid, then what are the adults like? I basically got home and I just, I just kept it to myself. Like, I could have told my mom, hey, the area you moved us to, they're kind of racist. Um, is there a way you can, like, get a return on the house that you just paid for and just, you know, send us back? And I can't go to my dad telling him someone called me a nigger because he's going to think I'm weak. 
And if I cry in front of my dad, he's gonna think I'm even weaker. And so that was my first taste of racism. And it just, if I'm being honest, at the time I'm just thinking, yeah, I'll be able to handle it. I'll be able to take it. Uh, I'm like from South London, I'll be good. It just didn't get better. <laughs> so it's just that, that was a catalyst of me understanding that you're in a neighborhood that doesn't like your color. The only way I'm gonna survive is if I fit in, if I become like them. And to try and fit in, Cornelius took a somewhat drastic approach. He started bleaching his skin and his hair. He changed how he talked and the way he acted. I started with my clothing. To hear about this transformation, you'll have to watch the film. I remember thinking to myself, the perfect white man has blue eyes. So I said, F it, I want blue eyes too. So there's a lot of powerful messages in the film about race, identity. But something that struck me was that although this is an extreme story, is it that different to how other teenagers behave? So even though your story is quite extreme, or seems extreme on the surface, do you think there's kind of universal messages there that might chime in with all adolescents who've been through the process of trying to find themselves? I think the amazing thing about doing this film is um, when you get to do the screenings and then you do Q&As. And like, I won't lie to you, like when I do the screenings, like in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, people are gonna think I'm a freak. I'm so scared. I don't want people to see me as a victim. But when you get time with the people after and you listen to them and you understand that like, you are sparking a conversation for people who have felt worse or similar to you. And I think for me, it's just, if I'm being honest with you, I'm a filmmaker as well. And um, I tried to tell the story with Creative England. I thought it would be easier to do it without me in the picture, get actor, get a cast. And then I met Ed, and Ed is the director of um, Black Sheep. And um, we, you know, we met at a coffee shop. When I spoke to him, he was like, do you understand that, like, if you tell this as a documentary, you're allowing people to understand, like, your heart and your soul and your perspective and your thoughts on this actual topic? And I think um, growing up in my time, like like I said, my parents came from Nigeria to this country and I feel like they worked so hard to provide a life for us that they weren't hardly around. And it's not their fault, if that makes sense. It's just, they were just trying to provide a life for us. And I think that alone time, I don't think it was good. I think maybe I needed a mom to like nurture me. and Maybe I needed a dad to just, you know, guide me a bit more for what I was going through and especially like with the trauma of like Damilora Taylor dying and then me seeing a, a child get hit by a car and me being the person that was meant to be taking care of the child and maybe they should have spent some time to help me with that and I think my dad had his own issues and I think he kind of didn't know how to handle it so he put it on us. At that age I was I was trying to look up to my dad. I was trying to be a man. I was trying to get my dad's love and my dad's affection. And I just really wanted my dad to love me. The first superhero in your life is your father. I think, I think my dad was like my superman. Even the way I walk and talk and like sometimes the way I behave, like, like I just look at myself and think, oh, you really are like your dad. And I think when I was growing up, I really wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be exactly like him. The way he dressed, the way he acted around people. So yeah, I wanted to be like him. And when he would like get upset and like, you know, 
verbally and you know this you know nigerian parents beat their children it's it's, it's common knowledge to every african so um yeah it's just i think when he did that stuff it's just the manner in which he did it that i didn't appreciate like i understand it was out of love but it's like yeah i think as a man it affected my masculinity i think some ways like i found it hard to be vulnerable i found it hard to open up i found it hard to um admit that i needed help and I think it, it just affected me in so many areas of my life. And I just got that in my system. If he's a lion, then I must be the son of a lion. And I can't show weakness. So I just went into my room, I closed the door. I just screamed as loud as I possibly could, but with nothing coming out of my mouth. I think he was struggling and he didn't want to admit it and he was just putting it all on the family and on his kids. And uh, he found it hard to ask for help. And in not asking for help, it it made him angry, frustrated. And he put that out on all of us. And like, even him and my mom would have spats and it affected my masculinity in every single way. Like, especially when it came to talking to women and like my behavior of women, cause I'll see how my mom and dad would behave and how riled up they would get. And I thought that was the way you were meant to speak. And um, yeah, I think with Nigerian like men or sometimes the households, like the women are just meant to like listen to what the man says, and if they talk back to you, then they're defying your um, <laughs> your your kingship or your manhood. And I think I had an issue with that. I can honestly, I'm 27, and I'm, it took me to probably I was 25 to actually like myself. So I think at the age of 25, I just finally started to like myself and 26, just to set myself for who I am. And I think at 27, I'm still, I'm still coming to that point where I like trying to get out of this imposter syndrome. And I think when you're Superman, it's not really Superman. It kind of puts a hole in your life because now you've got no one to kind of look up to. I wanted love. I wanted to feel love. So yeah, just made friends and monsters. So basically, I think the time period in which the documentary is, is probably from 10 to about 13, 14. About year nine, year 10, more black people moved into the area, more London people. So um, there was more people that I could relate to, more people that looked like me. So I felt a bit more comfortable, but it created more hostility in the area because it was more like like these. So I was from South London and in my head, South London people, we have a, a way of carrying ourselves, like the way we talk, the way we bop and like even just our lingo. So I was carrying that with me at first, which I didn't show in a documentary. And I stripped all of that away to fit in. But the Londoners that came in now, they were from East London, North London. And those are like, not saying they're any tougher than South London, but it's just different types of people from different regions of London. And they didn't take any of the racial stuff. They like, they attacked. And this, this area became black versus white, like literally. And uh, even in school, the football games, black versus white. 50-50, there'll be a fight. 
or some kind of confession after that. So the area kind of got a bit more worse. But because I made friends with, like, I, I was like probably one of the first black people there. So in a way, they didn't feel a threat against me. I think I became more acceptance of myself as more black people came. I would say that I, as soon as college hit, I kind of quit the bleaching cream. I kind of just started to like myself a bit more because I felt I saw more people like me and I could walk around with them and I'll be fine because I think everyone in the area or the people that I knew that seemed threatening didn't see me as a threat because they grew up with me, they knew me. So that allowed me and my friends to at least be fine. And they obviously they made their own friends with people and the area got easier. For some people it didn't, but for me it got easier. I think for college now we were all good, obviously a bit of hostility here and there, but people knew, okay, we don't really need to bring it his way. He's a nice guy. It's cool. It's fine. So things got easier for me. And I think at 18, 18, 17, my mum decided to move to Canada now. <laughs> so after moving to Essex, her next big leap was Canada. And she's there, still there now. But um, yeah, so she moved the family to Canada and I kind of refused to go at first. I finished college. And then I, after college, um, went to Canada. I called it exile at the time. But it really gave me time to really think about everything. Like everything, like I even grew my hair out, like I didn't cut my hair for a while, I just kind of enjoyed it. I just had time to to listen to myself and read and learn, and like educate myself. So I think in that period, that's when I decided I wanted to become a filmmaker. And then that's when like I took the big leap and I said, you know what? After watching Canadian TV, I said, I'm not making this. This is terrible. <laughs> so I literally, literally applied for a film school and I said, Mom, I'm sorry, I'm going back to London. You're talking about a black kid being accepted by racists. And they were cool with me, like me of all people. And it felt, it felt good. So thinking back generally about the concept of identity, Throughout all of our lives, we go through things that make us who we are and we kind of have to go through them. How do you think the events portrayed in the film shaped you in the long run? It made me who I am, like in a weird way. Like, um, remember one night in Essex, like when we first arrived, I watched this film called The Mask with Jim Carrey. And um, I realized that being funny had its advantages and um, that you could wear a mask and be this whole different person and have this whole different person. I saw them in a weird way. When I was a child, I saw films in this metaphorical, weird way. I actually thought movies were real. <laughs> and so if someone died in it, I actually thought they died in real life. But um, I think for me with um, with Essex, it, it was my first experience to um, art or like people and like sociology and psychology, like understanding human traits, understanding people, understanding like body language and reading it. I knew we were gonna get into a like altercation before it happened. Like, because I read the situation, I read what was happening and that made me in a weird way, pay attention to detail. <laughs> and that's helped with my filmmaking. And um, in terms of empathy and understanding people, and like being able to adapt. There's not a lot of people that can go to this crowd, to that crowd, to that crowd. And because I was able to be cool with like racists and then be cool with chabs and different types of people, it actually allowed me in like the real world 
to just accept people for who they are. Like, and because of what I've been through, it makes me not care about if you're vegan, if you're pescatarian, if you're gay, if you're trans, if you're whatever. Like, it's kind of made me understand that there's this one thing that makes us the same and it's just being human. But even in terms of my career, like, it's allowed me to kind of weird way understand acting because I acted like something that wasn't. It really made me a filmmaker. It made me Cornelius Walker in a weird way. And I don't regret any of the things I've been through, like being able to do the Essex accent or what my interpretation of it is. I know it sounds weird and I may have answered it in all these little puzzles, but in a weird way, it just, I'm happy for everything Essex contributed to me. It made me feel pride in something and it made me understand where my family went wrong and how we hurt each other. And it also built new family members and new family groups and people that, people that if weren't in my life today, I probably won't be sitting here. So. Yeah, I'm grateful for Essex, I'm grateful for all of it, and um, yeah. Special thanks to Cornelius Walker. Make sure to check out the full film Black Sheep out today on The Guardian Documentaries. Just head to theguardian.com forward slash documentaries. This episode of The Story was presented by me, Charlie Phillips, and was produced by Max Sanderson. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe to The Story on your favourite podcatcher. And if you have ideas or feedback, send us an email on podcasts at theguardian.com. podcasts from The Guardian. Just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.